Hello and welcome to Quarter Time Podcast in partnership with Carbon Jacked. I'm Lucy G. And I'm Lucy P. And we're here to bring you all the netball goodness you never knew you needed. We're delighted to say that this series of Quarter Time Podcast is supported by Carbon Jacked, an environmental startup that helps you combat climate change. They are an awesome company that provide monthly memberships which plant trees, support epic climate projects and help you to reduce your carbon footprint. Memberships start from just £2.50 per month so you can help save the planet for less than a cup of coffee. Signing up is super easy. Go to carbonjacks.com and enter NetballPod for a huge 30% off. The link is in our show notes. Go check it out. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the latest episode of Quarter Time Podcast. The final four are secured. (laughs) It was such a big week this week with lots and lots of drama. So, Luce, what's coming up on the show today? So much drama, drama, llama. Um, So today we are going to recap the news from the world of netball, do our three-word summaries from round 19 of the Vitality Netball Super League, and of course our favourites, Game of the Round and Player of the Round. Our special guest today is Seven Stars outgoing coach Melissa Bessel for our last coaching profile of the season. This was genuinely, I think, one of my favourite conversations we've had so far. It was incredible. We chat to Melissa about her influences growing up, winning and losing, saying it how it is and parting ways with Wales Netball and Seven Stars. It's so brilliant to be able to bring you this conversation. I loved it. And a massive thank you to Melissa for her openness and her honesty. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. Something about the Kiwis, isn't it? They've just got it. Yeah. Love hearing them. So on to the news. Firstly, we had the announcement that Asha Francis has been appointed as the new Team Bath head coach. She is, of course, former captain and champion with Team Bath and has been promoted from a technical coach role to take on the head coach role next year. Very exciting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who I was expecting to take this spot, but probably not her. I I don't really know a lot about her, to be honest. So very excited to see what she brings to the league next year. I think it could be one of those things where, you know, with Sarah Francis Bayman arriving, you know, having recently finished playing and sort of she didn't have a huge amount of experience, but she just had this real way with the team. Mm. I'm hoping it could be something like that similar for Asha Francis. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we also had this week uh, the England Men's and Mixed Netball Association had their England Mixed Trials. So very excited to see the outcome of that. And fingers crossed to everyone who trialed. I've no doubt it's going to be an absolutely cracking team. And rumour has it a few VNSL stars in there as well. So we shall see. Mm, oh, yeah. Looking forward to that one. So on to our three word summaries. Take it away, Luce. Okay, first up on Friday, we had Bath versus Wasps, with Bath taking a very narrow win, 43 to 41. And I've gone for a tough tussle. (laughs) This was a really cracking game, actually, which could have easily gone either way. It was quite low scoring overall. In fact, the highest individual score from either team was only 12. And I think that just goes to show what a defensive game it was. And speaking of defence, Bath were exceptional again they had 19 deflections to wasps five 
They had hands in absolutely everywhere, but they were also quite highly penalised with 64 penalties to Wasps 52. Mm. I think for Wasps, it was a really gutsy performance, but it does mean that their fast five hopes are sitting on a nice edge at the moment. Ooh, juicy. First up on Saturday, we had Rhinos versus Mavericks, with Rhinos taking the win 62 to 58. And I said, heartbreakers in blue. Yeah. Mm. Rhinos just seem to play with a freedom and a kind of joy that we haven't seen Mm. from them this season now that their top four hopes are dashed. It's almost like the pressure's off. Mm. And with Hall, Keenan and Berger each having possibly their best games of the season, Mavericks desperately missed the dynamism and speed that Kadeen gives you in attack as she was having to be put back in goalkeeper once again. But I'm really gobsmacked they didn't try another option at GK and just mix things up. You know, they were down for pretty much the whole game. They could have just tried something. Mm. The last time that Mavs ended up in the top four was way back in 2016 when we only had eight teams in the league and I was still at college. Um, oh get I, out <laughs> and I would expect to see a big shake-up of coaching and or playing personnel going into next season yeah I, I would be very surprised if we don't now that I feel a million years old thanks to <laughs> that coach <laughs> college comment following that game was dragons versus sirens with sirens taking a confident win at 51 to 40 and I've gone for defense versus defense This game, again, sounds like a corker with Dragons being led from the back by Shaquanda Green-Null, fan favourite, who was just coming out with intercept after intercept. Again, this game kind of could have gone either way right up until the last quarter when a defensive lift from Sirens saw them build on the small lead that they already had to go out by 11. Sirens actually won the second half 28 to 17, and this win keeps them in contention for Fast Fives in October. Mm, Yeah, juicy. I love that little battle that's going on halfway Mm. through the table. Next up on Saturday, Super Saturday it was. It was a really busy one. Uh, We had Lightning versus Stars with Lightning taking a big win, 66 to 46. And I said, business as usual. Mm. After a close start to the game, Lightning were off, demonstrating the ruthlessness that we've seen from them all season, pretty much. It wasn't a super accurate day at the post for either team. 16 missed shots for Lightning with a shooting percentage overall of only 79% and 11 missed shots for Stars with a 71% overall shooting. So that's something they'll want to focus on ahead of the final round. Mm. For Stars, Lucy Herdman was crazy good. Six intercepts, 10 deflections, 13 turnovers. The Stars players were also super clean with 33 penalties to Lightning's 57. That being said, there were loads of turnovers from Lightning's attack and the middies showing just how good their through court defense is. Yeah, they're just building, aren't they, towards finals? Can't wait. Following this was Storm versus Pulse, with Pulse coming away with the win 45 to 38. And I've gone for Pulse gathering momentum. This was another really tight game right until the last quarter. There's something in the water this round, honestly. And Pulse won that quarter 10 to 6. And that was actually Storm's lowest individual quarter of the season. Pulse, again, had hands in everywhere of this game with a massive 25 turnovers, keeping Storm's attackers quiet with only four and five goals respectively for Wells and McGee in goal attack. Both keepers were heavily involved in the game, making a a real impact, but again, also heavily penalised with 22 penalties apiece. 
This London and South East derby was a feisty one and really hotly contested with both teams ending up on a total of 78 penalties each. I think this was a really important win for Pulse actually to, to give them that momentum going towards the final series. Yeah, definitely. And talking of Pulse, the last game of the weekend, (laughs) Pulse versus Thunder with the final score of 56 to Thunder, 50 to Pulse. And for this one, I said the absolute scenes. Mm -hmm. I could not believe this game. This was incredible to watch. The last time Thunder were down at three-quarter time was against Bath in round six, and they went on to win by four goals. Since then, they have not been in a position where they've had to pull themselves back into the game. This one from Pulse was outstanding. It was a case of everything coming together for them for the majority of the game, and then it all dissolved into a mess in the last few (laughs) minutes. (laughs) Um, Lots of people are saying this is a grand final preview. I think Lightning will probably have something to say about that, but I would not be mad if it were the case. No, I mean, bring it on. New world order, you know, mm-hmm. like I would love to see that again in the finals. So, yeah, we will see in due course. Moving on to our game of the round. I wonder which one we've gone for this week, Luce. Uh, well, we've actually gone for Rhinos versus... Psych! No. <laughs> <laughs> we've gone for Pulse versus Thunder, obviously. Like you say, this game was just insane. I think it's wild to think the Pulse were up by eight at one point against Mm -hmm. undefeated Thunder. And I think this is the first time this entire season that Thunder looked genuinely challenged and rattled, I would say, whereas Pulse just looked cool, calm, collected, confident, all the Cs, they were Mm -hmm. just insane. Speaking of insane, Fumi, again, my girl, had some outrageous stats without even playing the full 60 minutes. Check this, right? She had eight interceptions, three deflections and 10 turnovers from like, (laughs) what, 40 minutes of play or something? Honestly, I genuinely think, like Tamsin said, surely her name is marked out in gold letters on a bus to Birmingham. It's got Mm. to be. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think uh, one thing that we have to talk about with this game were the changes that were made throughout. Obviously, a large number of them were pre-planned, particularly in Pulse's case. And I imagine, I'm not head coach, but I am guessing that this would be to ensure that everyone had a hit out against Thunder ahead of a possible final series against them. And I was so impressed, actually, with how effective they were right up until that last quarter. I don't think at any point again this season, we've had to see Thunder make a personnel change in the first quarter because of how well their opponents were doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I really just couldn't believe that they made that change that early. I Mm -hmm. really thought they would stick it out, but it just shows how good that Pulse were doing to really get under their skin almost. And you had quite a few missed shots from Ellie Cardwell, which is really uncharacteristic. Yeah, she definitely looked rattled um, Mm. for sure. And I think if we look at individual player performances, I think when Ash Decker came on, she was getting absolutely monstered by Laura Malcolm until Malcolm got put into that goal defence position. And then Ash was really able to come alive. But the the Nethwell, the Neil Rothwell. Nethwell, oh, I like that one. That's a good one. The Nethwell combo, I think they struggled the most out of all of the attacking combos to get free in the circle. They had a lot of movement that seemed to just lack in purpose or precision, but they haven't had much time together at all. I mean, Rothwell's not really had any time at all this season. So I think that's to be expected. 
Yeah, for sure. And sticking on individual performances, I think that uh, Shadeen van der Merwe's injury was a bit mm. of a worry for me from a Thunder perspective. They tried a few things, but it was a bit of a scramble. They kind of got away with it in the end. But yeah, yeah I, I'm that is a worry. If she's not back fully fit for the next two games, I think that that could be a bit of a concern mm. and for Pulse yeah it was truly a magnificent 56 minute performance yeah. in the last four minutes were just complete <laughs> whatever happened there and I think the plan changes is kind of what did them in they just lost all their flow and their rhythm and then you saw Liv yeah. Jean come back on and you get the feeling that Sam was like go and win this game and it was too late and it all didn't work but no really really strong signs for them to put it together for nearly four quarters yeah what a great experience for those young I mean they're all young players but you know the likes of Barry Neal in particular like incredible yeah so loose player of the round who we got so it was really tough to decide this week as there were some amazing performances mm-hmm. in fact all three games were really good in the Rhinos game, we had Berger shooting 59 from 59 at 100% and three rebounds. Amelia Hall with 32 feeds and one for unforced error. Oya Sola, seven deflections, six turnovers <laughs> and four rebounds. It was an amazing team performance from Rhinos and Wasps and Bath and Pulse and Thunder. Everyone did really well <laughs> this week. Unfortunately, I have not been allowed to give it to everyone. Um, <laughs> so I have had to go with somebody. And I have actually gone for Aliyah Zaranika this week. Love it. Stunning. So she didn't start the game, an error in my personal armchair coach opinion, (laughs) and she was injected in halfway through the second quarter. Despite being a bit late to the party, she still came up with the goods with three interceptions, five deflections and eight turnovers. And why this was important was because she was literally keeping Mavs in the game and she had Mm. an instant impact when she came on. She had more turnovers in the final minutes of the second quarter than most people get in an entire game. (laughs) She was riding Amelia Hall like a backpack and Mavs actually did win the second half while she was on the court. Mm. Unfortunately, it was not by enough, but Zaranika killed it and she did everything to try and stop that connection between Hall and Berger which we spoke about last week which was on fire again in this game yeah and again like you I was surprised that she didn't start but don't forget as well this was our sideline showdown from last week so I'm pretty impressed by us for choosing that yeah it's almost as if we know something about netball almost (laughs) (laughs) coming up next this week we hear from the outgoing head coach at seven stars Melissa Bessel This was a really touching and sensitive conversation at times and we're really grateful to Melissa for her openness in discussing her husband's battle with cancer. Our chat with Melissa is coming up just after the break. Join the likes of Tamsin Greenway, Gia Ebenethy and us to become a Carbon Jacked member and combat climate change. It's just £2.50 per month and you'd be doing your bit and helping to protect the planet. We really think that netballers can make a difference and so do Carbon Jacked. That's why they support this podcast. They're helping England netball plant trees for goals scored in the Vitality Netball Super League and our Netball Scotland sustainability partner. Go to carbonjack.com to become a member today and use Netball Pod for 30% off. Link is in the show notes. We are absolutely thrilled to welcome the head coach of Seven Stars. It's Melissa Bessel. How are you doing, Melissa? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really good, thank you. Good. 
good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Um, it's a delight to have you. And we've been very lucky to see you coach a number of teams in the Vitality Netball Super League, as well as internationally. And I think your impact and unique coaching style has, rightly so, I think, been spoken about a lot in recent weeks, particularly since you announced that you'll be returning home to New Zealand at the end of the season. Yeah. So we wanted to take this opportunity to get to know you a bit better, start <laughs> right back at the very beginning of your career and take a look at some of the events that have shaped you since you first started coaching. Okay. So part of our research for the pod, <laughs> um, we saw a podcast that you did with Worcester University and in that you said, uh, it's always been ingrained in me to be a person that's wanted others to be successful. Mm-hmm. So where do you think that this kind of selfless ethos originates from? Probably from my family, but also I think for me, I've been very lucky that I was involved with Māori netball. So um, I, alongside my, okay, let me backtrack here. When you start coaching in New Zealand or when you start playing, when you make the top team in your club, it becomes automatic that you don't get asked, you have to coach lower. So we've always been players that have been playing at a high level. You have to give back to your club. So it was, you know, we used to start down with the babies and I say babies being like the under 12s or, and it used to be something that we used to do every season. So I I suppose from that point, from being a player at such a young age and I've always been the same height (laughs) when I was 12. So I was always pushed into teams and my mum is also an international coach And she's a bit of a freak when it comes to sport in general. I've never, ever met a woman that is so absolutely possessed in winning. Uh, And she's also played. She's played for the All Whites. She's played um, played rugby, rugby league, tennis, soccer, you name it. She's done everything, basketball, netball, and always to the highest level. So even when we, at Christmas, when we have like, Christmas games, even Monopoly, you she's out <laughs> to win. So I suppose from that, from that ethos of from my mother, it's been ingrained in me to whatever I do in life to do the best that I can and always, always remember to give back to the people before you, but also the people that you've learned from, pass that knowledge back down. So I suppose my upbringing and then obviously being um, a New Zealand Māori and very proud of that I was lucky enough to be involved with coaching at all levels and Māori netball is so special because it's not just about the sport you get taught the culture the values um, you know and part of that is actually if you lose on the netball court you may be able to win with the um, waiata which is singing so we all have to sing as well not individually god I'd be useless at that (laughs) But as a, as a group, so for us, um, you know, and I was with uh, Tamaki Makoto, which is Auckland, and um, we used to sing at the end of each tournament. We would sing every day and we would. So it, it's very different. I'm not a religious person, but I'm definitely spiritual. Mm. And um, that ethos has also been ingrained in me. So I, I think it's a bit of that 
So sorry for that long answer. <laughs> no, I think that is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned your mum because she was part of our, our next question. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to say, you know, we know that she's a, a notable name in the world of netball as coach New Zealand Ace, Samoa under 21s and seniors. And she, I believe, was also the one who first scouted Kat Tuivaiti back when she was a youngster. Yeah. So can you tell us about some of your memories from watching her coaching as you were growing up? Well, she wouldn't probably be allowed to coach now. Back in those days, it was very different. Um, you would get a, a very swift kick up the backside um, <laughs> and, and told what for. My mum was very, very passionate, and I think I get a lot of that from her. The unfortunate thing for my mum was back in, because I've, I stated before that she was so passionate uh, and so driven, and she's just crazy. And you either, you can usually hear her before you see her, <laughs> but she has impacted on so many people's lives. Mm. And she always took people in. I was often, you know, would meet people in my, in my living room because my mum had brought them over and they needed somewhere to stay or whatever. So there was a side of my mum that not a lot of people saw. She would go over and above the the sport if you needed to be seen by the doctor she would pick you up and take you um, if you needed food she would give it to you if you needed any shoes she'd give them to you she has those qualities but unfortunately because she was so passionate and driven to win and that is something that we are different in where she wants to play to win everything I play for the performance and the learn don't get me wrong I want to win as well and I think somewhere along the line, some of that, which has been detrimental to her coaching career, I have learned from those. Um, I don't like to dish my mum because she's one of my greatest inspirations, but along the way, I've learned from those mistakes that she has. Um, you know, one of the things where she could have gone further in her career was, you know, going back many years ago when her and Margaret Forsyth, who was one of my ultimate legends, who's only died last year recently, her and my mother were co-coaching the New Zealand A and I think it might have been a Milo series. We're going back a, a few years now. And their team that they, they were given were actually beating the Silver Ferns at that particular time. Oh, wow. And the word from up above came, change the team. And, of course, they didn't because both of them together were furiously like competitive. So they were a great couple. And because they didn't, it was sort of like, and I did say to my mum, I remember saying it vividly when I was very young, saying, you are such a dick. Why did you do that? You know, like, I said, you should, you know, you don't do stuff like that, you know. And she said, oh, no, my team was better and I wanted to prove that they had the wrong players in that team. And I said, yeah, but mum, that's not how you do stuff. And I was just a player. And her way was, no, that's how you learn and I want to be the best in everything I do. And so I learned very early on. Unfortunately, so did she, because that sort of gave her a bit of a blacklist. But does she regret any of it? No. I think her life skills that she's taught all of us, that everyone that she's coached has gone on to either be, you know, fantastic mothers or doctors, lawyers, you name it. So she's done pretty well. She's mm. done pretty well. I mean, her influence on you, it just sounds incredible. And I think what's really coming through to me is the significance and the importance of, of her influence on your journey, but also the Maori culture yeah. uh, sort of within New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And I think 
something that I really admire about the Southern Hemisphere is the sporting culture. It's absolutely incredible. And I think coming from a nation like like New Zealand, which I think we can say punches above its weight on the international stage in terms of population size. um, And and they just put such an emphasis on sport that must have been really influential for you in your career. So you came to the UK from New Zealand in 2010, I believe, and have spent a large portion of your coaching journey over here. Mm-hmm. So why did you make that decision? And how does the sporting culture here compare back to New Zealand? Well, I actually, I was coaching at a, a really good level in New Zealand. And with the, everything that was going on in New Zealand, I just, I had, had never been a silver fern. Um, and it probably makes me a better coach now because I had such a bad attitude as a child, as, as a young athlete, I just didn't get there. And then I started coaching and knew that if I wanted to go further, I needed more. So I went back to university and I left a full-time job and went back full-time and, and got my Bachelor of Sport and Recreation with all the coaching stuff that I knew I needed to have extra. Then started coaching I went under the wing of Yvonne Willering, who was a very famous ex-Silver Fern player and Silver Fern coach, Mm. and proudly to say that she's a very good friend now and mentor. So I I was lucky enough to, you know, for about three years get underneath her wing, and then I took over the team from her and was coaching some of the the biggest names in netball, really, at the time. And I had a a great tenure there with uh, Netball North uh, for about two to three years. And then I decided, okay, what am I going to do? I need to get more experience. So I just lost my dad as well to cancer. So, and I was very, very close to my dad. We're a family of three and I'm the eldest girl. So I just sort of, I don't know if it was a midlife crisis or I don't know, but I just thought the last thing he sort of said to me was, don't wait, get out there live your dreams and go for it. Don't be scared. And for some reason, it just really stuck with me. And I thought, okay, I'll try. And funny enough, Northern Ireland uh, came up and there was a job going. And that was the actual job that I went for. And I was, I left my job and everything. And I was literally just waiting for them to come through. And the visa and everything fell through at the last minute. So I was left without a job. And I was sitting in, I'd just come back from Adelaide and we were sitting in the airport and I just happened to be checking my emails and I'd forgotten that I'd actually applied for a job in Fiji. And it came up saying, congratulations, we'd like to offer you the job. And I was like, wow, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> so I got back on the plane, went to, uh, went back home and got in touch with them. And um, within a few weeks or months, I went to Fiji. Hmm. And... Um, Stayed there for 18 months and it was the most amazing and I think incredibly, incredibly blessed for what I learned Um, with the culture, with the people, everything I learned. It was my first big sort of international and it wasn't far from home, but living in that culture was amazing. And just, you know, like my daughter was born there. Uh, Her name is Tale. And she was named by the Fiji National Netball Team sitting around. She was known as the Fiji baby for about four four <laughs> weeks because we just didn't know what to name her. Um, so I had very, very strong ties with Fiji for that reason. So I was very blessed to go there and I certainly learned a lot. I took the Fiji Under-21 team to my first World Cup and we 
had an amazing finish, the best finish they've ever had. And happy to say that it was the first time because there's only two things in Fiji, religion and sport. That's it. Nothing else. So I was really lucky because I actually ended up using, of all things, because I said I'm not religious, I ended up using the Bible as one of the the most influential parts of my coaching journey with the Fijian under-21s. I love talking about it all the time, about how we... The, how I integrated the, the Bible and how powerful it was and, and how it, it really influenced these girls to stand up on the court. And you could not do that in another culture. Mm. Um, so I learned a lot. And then from there, I was in Fiji and obviously there was money problems in Fiji and they couldn't pay me. And, and so it sort of finished uh, in, a, in a sad way. And then obviously I, I applied for the Wales job because it came up I saw that they were like 18th in the world and I thought, let's go for someone that is quite low ranking, needs help, and let's see what I can do. Hmm. So applied for it and got it. And then literally uh, we left Fiji, jumped on a plane to the UK. We'd never been here before. All five children, um, my husband and myself, and the baby was, Tale was only about three months when we arrived. Arrived in Cardiff. And it was the worst um, (laughs) winter. And I just remember my kids were just, you know, we still had tans from our shorts and our jandals. And, you know, (laughs) we we arrived in Cardiff and there was snow up to about here. And my kids (laughs) just looked at me and went, Mom, what have you done? (laughs) And, um, yeah, and then I think within a week, Wales went down to 19th in the world. And then started that amazing journey of getting them up to, you know, eighth in the world, winning all those games. I mean, we bet we bet England. We won a gold medal at uh, the seniors. But that was when England used to take their, their 21s and they sort of under, underestimated us a little bit. And, uh, yeah, we took them. So I'll never forget that. I always say we won the gold medal at the Nepal Europe. Had some amazing opportunities and getting them up the world rankings and then obviously with Celtic Dragons and making a grand final I mean amazing so yeah sorry I could just talk all day I'm sorry (laughs) no it's it's fascinating to hear I definitely want to go to Fiji now by the way so thanks for that that tip It's just amazing hearing that journey. And I think it, it, what really struck me is obviously the support of your family to go from, from place to place, kind of following that dream, which is really incredible. And your time at Wales Netball ended quite abruptly in mm-hmm. 2014, meaning that you unfortunately weren't able to lead Wales to the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. So mm-hmm. what were your feelings at the time? And how do you look back on that experience now? At the time, oh, distraught. I think I'd just about ticked a lot of my bucket list with coaching and it was to go to a Commonwealth Games. I've been to a World Cup, under-21 World Cup. So, yeah, to, to be so like I could actually touch it, <laughs> it mm. was devastating. Now I'm actually thankful for what happened because it has made me a better coach, a stronger person. I think it it's made me more appreciative of the things that we have, definitely my husband, he was the main, he was my rock during that time. Because I think the hardest thing out of all of it was I didn't have the answers why. And for me, that when you're a coach or a person that has such high 
standards for yourself. And when you know that you're always true to your values and, you know, you're not, I know I'm not a bad person. I know I know I can annoy some people and I'm very honest. I mean, I know you guys had a go at me about my umpiring <laughs> comments, but that's cool, you know, like I think that's what life's about. And, you know, like if I was a manager, if I was a man and I was managing a, a sport in football or rugby, everything and whatever I've done or said, piece of cake. But for some reason, yeah, I, it, it's not regarded the same. And, for me, I knew that I'd done nothing wrong in my heart of hearts, hence why I fought it. And even my the people that I worked with fought it with me. And it was just that I never got an answer. It was I, I was never told. And if even if they wanted to get rid of me and just told me what it was that I'd done wrong, it would have been fine. But I never got that. And no matter how much I fought for to get that answer, I never received it. And you know what? I've learned now, even though it's been very difficult, I, I've learned to let that go now. Mm. But there's something in me, like if I could get a Christmas cracker and I was allowed one thing, it would be to get that answer. <laughs> um, but it's okay because, you know, like I don't know if you saw the interview when I was at Wales when we, you know, we lost. It was the last game I had. And although we'd lost um, against Celtic Dragons, in Sport Wales and I was really quite upbeat. It was because the night before I'd gone down and I, I was sitting at a table. I drove down to Cardiff and then we went out for dinner and what was supposed to be a couple of hours ended up being four hours and the last hour was just a table full of crying because all of them were talking about the the times. I mean, Susie Drain was sitting there telling me about and I'd forgotten all about it when we were at World Cup in Singapore and, and something I'd said to her that had um, stayed with her my physio, Dave, who has now a thriving physio company in Cardiff doing extremely well, my other assistant coach and, you know, all these players that had been there, Chelsea, Chelsea Lewis, who, and they all just spoke from their heart about the impact of what I'd made to them. And that sort of, it just made me feel like, oh, win or lose that game the next day that I was going in. I mean, I wanted to win, let's not lie. But it didn't make a difference because it, it was just such an amazing evening, you know, and, and you just can't buy that. You know, like, it's like I said, you can win all the trophies and medals and gold medals and titles, but you can't win friends and mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't keep and make friends like what I have and what I've made. And it's, I'm truly blessed here. Yeah, I'm very mm-hmm. lucky. I think that's absolutely incredible to hear. I've actually got goosebumps listening Mm. to you talking about that. I think for, you know, for sport, the impact that it has is so often about that community and it's kind of immeasurable that feeling that, that you get of, doing something together of the collective all working for a common goal and and that real sense of community. And I think that's true both in grassroots level or in the elite, but kind of the more elite that you get, Mm -hmm. that winning, that importance of winning and that need to win kind of comes more into play. And we know that um, Stars have had a tough season. You mentioned obviously that game against Celtic Dragons, the result didn't go your way and you've um, won three games this season. Mm -hmm. So how do you personally cope with the losses when your team have really put it all out there on court yeah look I think 
and I did say to the girls, you know, like it doesn't define us as a team and as people. And I suppose it's how you win and how you lose. And for me as a coach, it's about ensuring that no matter when you win or when you lose, it's the learnings from both. And I certainly would not have seen in a million years with a team I have that I would have been sitting here um, at the bottom. But does that really define us? I mean, we've had some amazing games. Don't get me wrong. We've had two real stinkers, like hand over heart. Still, as a, as a coach, you have no idea what happened with those two. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I've seen a lot of people grow from the losses that we've had. For me, working with Paige over the last three years and, and getting her into the Futures program has been a very proud moment for me. And I know, obviously, for her, but that's quietly been something we've been trying to do. So success there. Uh, Lucy Herdman, I know I got a lot of uh, dosh for putting her from a shooter to a defender. I still believe wholeheartedly she is a far better defensive player than a shooter. Fast five, knock your socks off. But <laughs> a netball, a different game. I think she's had an amazing season uh, with me for the last two and especially this year. I look at the game and we didn't get it covered with against Loughborough. You know, we had something like 11 players that we were playing against that were either in the England Roses, the, the Futures, or the Internationals. And we had them. We had them really pumping. They, you know, like they really had to think hard about, gosh, they had all their big guns on the first and we were only down by a couple and it was goal for goal. I've never seen that combination of my players that I had out there just get out there. And, I mean, I was sitting on the sideline just going, oh, my God, Liana, you go, you old girl. <laughs> and I think for me, when you see moments with my team when they play like that in those quarters, wow, it's amazing. Mm. Um, if we had been able to, to link those for the four quarters <laughs> – well, you know, we might be sitting here thinking about how we're going to play this final, but, you know, that sport, uh, you know, sport is, and I've said this to many people, it's not a fairy tale, you know, like you just can't dream about it and then win it and then stand there with the confetti, you know. It's hard, it's hard yakka, and I think that's what makes me love sport even more is that when you do win, there's so much more power behind that trophy and that win and it goes far deeper than just you know winning a few goals and I've seen some teams that win and they don't look happy and I've I've been in a team where we've been in finals and we've lost by four and we were cheering louder than the team that won so I think it's just a matter for you as the coach to understand the importance of winning and losing and what your actual job is as the coach. Mm. No I think that's really interesting what you said earlier is whether you win or lose, it's the learnings that you take from both. I think that's yeah. a really um, sort of proactive and positive approach to, to take from any situation, whether you won or whether you lost. And yeah. one of the things that I love about you and what I loved about our conversation with Kat Tuvaiti as well is that you are both sort of fearless, I suppose, in how you have conversations, your honesty, or saying it how it is, you know. And the, I think there's sometimes a tendency to shy away from the truth in netball and, and follow the party line or not say anything that could be construed as controversial. Yeah. And very few coaches and players are as outspoken as you are. 
And I know there's been a couple of occasions this season where you definitely didn't mince your words. You mentioned about us sort of commenting on your comments on the umpire earlier. But this is what I love, you know, is that we can have these kind of conversations. And you've mentioned previously that your coaching ethos includes speaking a few home truths when they're needed. Yep. Have you always found it so easy to live with such authenticity when perhaps a few other people don't? Yeah. I don't find it an issue at all. I think when you've been brought up in in the culture that I have, if you don't speak the truth, then you're not heard. And if you're not heard, then you become silent, you become invisible. And for me, I mean, having seven kids, four of them are daughters. And whenever I coach, the whole purpose of me coaching is to, to pass that knowledge on and to teach there's a way of being honest and as long as you do it in a caring way and in an honest and fair, not abrupt or rude, mean, I don't like mean, but that's, I think, for me as a woman, to coach women, to teach women to do that in life, not just in sport, is is purely why I, I, I love to coach because I think if one day somebody's going to coach my daughter and she's lost or she can't find her way because she's too scared to stand up and say something, then I'd want a strong female to inspire and motivate her to actually say, hey, I'm not down for that and I don't appreciate it and I want to stick up for someone because I believe in this. Then, by God, I'm guilty and and I'm proud of it. You know, again, being... When I went home and I haven't been home for a while, I was really amazed at how strong New Zealand Māori women are and how I just couldn't believe how many great inspirational and motivational women are now on TV and are in the papers and, and are speaking out and, and are, are true role models. And for me, I think we have a duty, if we're going to be coaching at this level, it's not about us. And if you're coaching at this level and you want to make it about you, then you're one, you won't last long you'll get caught out, and two, you won't last long because you won't gain the respect. And I think I never I never, I never, never cry. And when I cried on national TV, where honestly, I said to Hannah, oh, my God, I wanted to run away. It was the first time I've actually seen it. I wasn't expecting it, but all of those comments from those girls, I don't think one of them actually spoke about technical or tactical, <laughs> but it just talked about them as a person and, and you know, and just, the love and respect that we have for each other and who cares if we came last? I don't care. You know, like what I've taught those fantastic, beautiful, young, up-and-coming women, yeah, I don't care that I came last. I know my sponsors, bless their cotton socks and probably seven stars won't like that, but I think the ethos and the values that we have and the team morale and everything that we have is is true testament to seven stars. So, yeah. you know. And I think you can absolutely see that as well. And if you look at the video that the players put together or the franchise put together when you announced that you were leaving stars, like the the kind and heartfelt words that they all had to say about you is just mm-hmm. testament to the impact you've had on them and the relationship you've had with them. Yeah. And we actually, you know, we had Nia Jones on the podcast last week and she was extremely complimentary about the influence that you've had on her career and particularly your family first attitude and how this has inspired her. 
you you revealed on off the court recently the the really sad news about your husband's illness and we are so terribly sorry to hear about that and we wish you and your husband all the best um, for your family you also mentioned that you found out about your husband's illness prior to the start of the season but you just weren't able to get back to New Zealand because of the travel restrictions yeah that must have been so hugely difficult to go through alongside the stresses of being an elite netball coach and completing your masters where did you look for for support during this challenging time from my teammates you know like luckily I mean you can't hear but Kat is now yelling to Sebastian down the stairs (laughs) um you know having her you know she's literally just through the wall she gave me the cuddles that I needed when I needed it. Uh, having the kids around has been amazing, you know, because it's family. Liana is also being a Kiwi, but we've been, you know, good friends for many years and having her support, all the girls have been really supportive. And then I also had um, all of my friends that on this side of the world that literally just dropped everything and said, what can I do? And I know my nickname um, at uni was Ice Queen. <laughs> so I don't know if that's come into play, but I, I, I certainly don't mean to come across as cold-hearted sometimes and, and as this big, strong person, but I think I needed to hold it together for my husband uh, and we really talked about it in, in depth because we sort of, I was just realistically just getting ready to pack to go to the opening in Birmingham and he'd said that he was going for a checkup, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd forgot to ask, and then he just sort of said, oh, and by the way, they've found cancer. And I just went, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Can't get me home that easily. And as a joke, and he said, no, babe, I have. They found some cancer. And I was like, oh, uh, okay. And then a part of me went into sort of high performance mode and just said, okay, I've got to get on the bus. Shortly, we're heading up. I've got to process this and just had all these questions. And and he just said, I don't have all the information yet, but I'm going for uh, a meeting next week. So I said, okay. And he said, there's nothing we can do about it. So I just went, okay, park. And I shifted it and went up to Birmingham and didn't didn't say anything, left it. And then because I just thought maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just this. Maybe it's just that. And then it wasn't until that week then he said, and I went into the oncology meeting with him and we got all the ins and outs and and then that's when I I told Kat straight away and told Liana. And then I've always been very honest with my team. So I literally gave it a couple of weeks because I thought I just can't come banging out with it and say this. So I thought about it, and because we've always been very honest and open, like we were with Aziz's dad, you know, there's been a couple of other deaths, unfortunately, with some of the players this year. Like it's been a very hard couple of seasons, Mm. and we've always been honest, and I've always said to the girls, look, this has happened, she's going to need your support, rally around, blah, blah, blah. So I think they all got a bit of a shock because they were like, oh, I'm not quite sure how we're going to deal with this one, and I just said, this is this is what's happening. So if I come to training and I'm a little bit down, or if my phone rings, I usually wouldn't answer it. I'm going to answer it. So I just sort of made just made some adjustments really, and just said this is. I didn't say I need your support, but I knew I'd get it. But I just wanted them to know that there could be sometimes where I might be a little bit off. I 
literally am living in two hemispheres because I'm, while everyone else is sleeping, I'm on the phone um, mm. or I'm talking to my daughter because obviously our, our youngest daughter is 12 and she's had to deal with this as well. The only blessing is that all of the kids are over there. So all the boys, the eldest boy has been to the appointments with him, with Adam. And, you know, we've all, they've all been there and they're helping him. So that makes me feel better. But yeah, I tried, I just said to him, I can't get home. Uh, It was like trying to go in for a lucky dip. So I just kept hoping and praying that they would bring the levels down. And of course, when they did, I tried to go home and (laughs) got COVID. Mm. Um, and then I thought about it um, afterwards and thought should I go home because I haven't got long before the end of the contract and I just missed the bath game and I said to the girls and the girls were just like go so I took off and I actually did as a surprise he didn't know Um, and I just went for eight days and I didn't think I was going to get it over the line but I did and I actually told him the biggest lie (laughs) I said to him we're going up to Scotland and we're going in the bus and I'm not going to have any Wi-Fi. I'm going to be off. And then when I got to Qatar, I, t- I rang him and said, oh, my God, the wheel's fallen off the bus. We've had a flat tire. And <laughs> we're, we're, you know, still four hours out and blah, blah, blah. And, and then I've got to go to bed. And then I said, he went, no problem. Call me, t- call me tomorrow. So that got me to Adelaide. <laughs> then when I got to Adelaide, uh, he, I said to him, just going to a meeting. And then when I got to New Zealand, he I had this message saying, oh, you don't love me anymore. You've been ignoring me for the past two days. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm literally just coming out of my meeting. And then my girlfriend picked me up from the airport and we drove home and I just knocked on the door. And I he was actually at home because he's still working. And he was actually at home and I could see him through the window. And the way he got up from the chair, I knew he was a bit PO'd that someone was knocking at the door that early because it was about 7 a.m. in the morning. And he just, he came to the door and he just went, oh, my God. He said, you are, and I said, yeah, it was all lies. (laughs) So that was really nice. So we had, he nearly cried. He nearly cried. But he buried his head in my shoulder. So, yeah, that was pretty, pretty nice. So I was I was wrapped. Yeah, that I'm I nearly crying. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but Melissa. Yeah, cool. yeah. Wow. I mean, thank you for sharing that. Mm. Genuinely, thank you. That is so moving and uh-huh. just just incredible to hear about that journey and everything going into it. And you know, being half a world away must be difficult at the best of times. And so, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine that. And, and thank you for sharing that. Um, we're conscious we've taken up a lot of your time and I know you're finishing off a master's this week. So just got a couple of rapid fire sure. questions, if you yeah. don't mind, before we wrap Go up. Go for it. Go for it. We had a couple of listener questions come in. So Judith Stewart on Instagram said, what's your favorite netball memory? Oh, Gonna dig back into the archives for this one. Yeah, probably my my first ever World Cup has to mm. has to be uh, the first time I stood on that line um, arm in arm with the girls in my management singing the national anthem. And funny enough, it was against New Zealand. Ah. <laughs> so I I sort of sang the New Zealand anthem as well underneath my breath. But, <laughs> um, that was probably the most I, I would say surreal actually mm. making it and being one of my lifetime goals to be at a World Cup as an international coach would have to be that. 
Yeah, mm. I can't imagine that. I mean, I get teary-eyed when the England anthem comes on, so I can't yeah. imagine actually being there and singing it. Also, the yeah. New Zealand anthem is yeah, a complete banger as well. Absolute so. banger. Yeah. Top tier, top yeah. tier. <laughs> they actually kick their butts, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our second question for you is from Anna Howes on Instagram, and she said, which players would you love to recruit to play for the new Stars head coach next season if you could have anyone? Anyone. Go for like a top oh. three. Yeah. Um, if I was allowed, I can have anyone. It would be Greta from Australia. Yeah. Mm. Um, Beth and Dyke. Mm. Mm. I love Beth and Dyke. I think she's amazing. Um, and especially because I've been part of her journey and seen her from such a wee pup. Um, <laughs> who else? It has need to a defender a, now, a defender It has now. to be a defender. I mean, I'd love Jane Watson. Mm, Ooh, yeah. But she's pregnant, so I know that's really hard. But if let's just say not pregnant, it would be her. She could have it do next year, though. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, what a great three. That's a, a, a good, solid start mm. to a team there. I love that. And our final question. Uh, we heard from Nia Jones uh, last week that you often put up a karaoke song for the girls to do in training. <laughs> so we were wondering, what's your go-to karaoke song? Oh, I've got too many, but I know we're singing... Uh, a five song because I sing it at all my trainings on a Tuesday night yeah. <laughs> uh, it's part of what we do and tonight being celebration it's a Tuesday the girls are singing tonight and we're singing um an old old song from five you know yep, I remember five yeah yeah then, that old <laughs> yeah um and I, I can't remember the name of it now I think it's that one get on up oh yeah oh, oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> Great so song. we're singing that tonight. <laughs> um, but if it was a karaoke, it would, I don't know, I'd probably go with an Engelbert Humperdinck song because that's one of my dad's classic favourites. <laughs> or Neil Diamond. <laughs> Showing your age now, Melissa. I know. You can't go wrong with uh, Neil Diamond. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. I'm going to see if I can get in the car, come down to Seven Star Shane yeah. tonight, I'll sing a bit of five. Oh, Melissa, honestly, I can't thank you enough for your time today. It's been such a, an honour and a privilege to talk to you. And thank you for your generosity of spirit and your openness to share such sort of personal details and memories and journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Wow. What an amazing conversation. Like genuinely, I had goosebumps at one point just listening Mm. to Melissa. Her openness and sort of her willingness to show that like rawness is so special and I think it's something about the Kiwis, ma'am. They're just an incredible people. Yeah. And I think as well, I th- I'm sure it will inspire lots of people listening who are going through difficulties to just hear about how she coped and the support network around her. It's, it's really, really inspiring. Yeah, for sure. So before we wrap up, it's time to take a look ahead to the next week of matches, the final regular round what? of the Vitality Netball Super League. This year, we've teamed up with Sideline TV to pick our showdown of the week, highlighting two key players who we cannot wait to see go head-to-head. Who are we looking at this week, Luce? 
So we're going for the final game of the season before the finals, which is obviously mm. Thunder versus Lightning. And last time we had this matchup, we actually looked at Metcalf versus Cobden, which could equally be a very good matchup again. But this week I'm taking a closer look at Laura Malcolm on Hannah Joseph. Oh, yeah. I think we will see Malcolm back at her preferred and I think strongest wing defense position this week, assuming all is well with Shadeen van der Merwe. Either way, Malcolm will be responsible for putting some distance between Hannah Joseph and Mary Cholok. Hmm. Joseph is the number one for feeds in the league with 391. So Thunder will be targeting her from the outset. They know they need to break that link in the chain. Mm. The way that Malcolm can track a player and her backing up is outstanding. Joseph, you know, isn't the tallest, so we could see that play into Malcolm's favor as well. Thunder will want to stop the flow of lightning early so they don't allow them to get into that rhythm and start putting scoreboard pressure on. Pending an upset by Pulse in the semis, and I think it would be considered an upset even though they have been playing extremely well, Mm. this game between Thunder and Lightning will be a grand final preview in my opinion. So expect to see plenty of body on the line and plenty of tactical changes as well. Yeah, this is going to be juicy, guaranteed. Let us know what you guys think by heading to our socials and don't forget to tag at sideline.tv. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Quarter Time. We can't wait to bring you even more netball chat and a wrap up of round 20. Round 20, Luz, I can't believe it. Next week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at Quarter Time Pod for the latest netball updates. Do get involved in the conversation online. We love having little chinwags with you over Instagram and Twitter. And let us know what you think of the matches this weekend and which players have stood out for you. We would also really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review as it helps other people to find the podcast. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please let us know and do spread the word with your netball pals so even more people can get involved. Don't forget to check out our partners Carbon Jacked and take advantage of the exclusive Netball Pod 30% discount on their memberships. Take care, everyone, and see you soon. Bye. Bye.